There's an island off the north coast of Germany called Heligoland. In 1994, off the northwestern coast of that island, a body was discovered, with injuries that suggested foul play. Wearing smart clothes and expensive shoes, he was given the name The Gentleman. But nearly 30 years later, he's still unidentified, and his killers have got away with murder. Welcome to the mysterious case of the Gentleman of Heligoland, one of Europe's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 9 A Bridge Too Far There was one thing which was uppermost in our minds and has been for a while now. What was the identity of the man who fell from the Pride of Flanders ferry in April 1994? It had been a very frustrating process to try and find out more about him because there was so little information written in the archives that we had access to. Now, one thing we knew we had to try was the newspaper archive in Ipswich. Now, Ipswich is close to Felixstowe, where the Pride of Flanders had docked, and it was noticed the man had gone missing. So, if anywhere was going to have some record of what had happened, it might be the newspaper archive in Ipswich and specifically the main newspaper in that area, which is the East Anglian Daily Times. Our problem was the East Anglian Daily Times wasn't on the online database. And that's the thing about online newspaper archives. They're incomplete. There's only a fraction of newspapers are included. So whilst it's a very efficient means of searching through those newspapers, it's limited to the ones that are on it. And searching through physical newspapers or microfiche, as I know from working on Fred, is a time-intensive, laborious occupation. But we'd run out of ideas. We needed someone to look at that newspaper archive. Now the problem was, none of us live anywhere near Ipswich. So we needed a volunteer. And we got one. Zoe King who lives in Texas in the United States, volunteered her father, Mervyn Stutter, who lives in Essex in England. And that's not too far away from Ipswich. So good old Mervyn volunteered his time to drive over to Ipswich and spend some time going through that archive. And we're very pleased that he did, because Mervyn came up trumps and discovered something that's vital. Now, Ian's been the one who's talked to Mervyn about what we needed, and Ian was the first person to find out what he had found. As soon as I'd found out something had happened, I was straight on the phone to Ian. Right, Ian, I'm on the edge of my seat because I've just got a text that says that Mervyn's found something. So, what's, what's he found? 
Well, he's played a blinder, Ken. Good old Mervyn. And thank you very much, Zoe, for bullying your dad into getting in his car and driving all of the way to Ipswich for us. Yeah. Uh, Mervyn went to the Suffolk Archive, found the old copies of the East Anglian Daily Times. Right. Started on the 20th and found a similar report to the one that we'd already had, where, where there's a report that this chap has gone missing and the RAF helicopters are up and looking. And it's clearly the pride of Flanders. It's the same, it's the same guy. It's the, yeah. yeah, great, great. Uh, but so far, so what we already knew. However, with it being the local newspaper, Mervyn pushed on and a couple of days later on the 22nd. Yeah. Uh, there's a report saying that that search was unsuccessful and the chap is named. Wow, okay. The chap, the chap that went missing is named as Kenneth John Rodenhurst. Right. Who, aged 49... Right. Uh, was an RAF technician. Yeah. No fixed abode in the UK or no permanent address in the UK, but living in Bruggen in Germany, which I'd heard of because there was a massive RAF Bruggen back then. So, so he has he, no permanent address in the UK. And however, it does say that he's got lots of connections in Suffolk. Right. So, so he's coming back to visit people. He's permanently based in Germany and he's coming back to visit people in Suffolk coming through Felixstowe, but, but for some reason decides he doesn't want to see him and throws himself off. I mean, is, is that what they're, they're, are they saying the suicide? Are they saying anything else about that? Well, it doesn't specify that, Ken. What they do say is that he was confirmed seen on board after mm. the ship left and he didn't disembark in Felixstowe, so he's gone missing from the boat sailing right now i mean that's amazing that we've got a name because if we've got a name we'll be we'll be able to find out everything but i mean i'm going to ask the obvious question does it happen to mention his height or weights or anything like that no nothing like that ken no but i think uh with an age and a full name like that joe can work in magic on that i think oh, yeah 100 percent Hundred percent. So, I mean, this is massive. This is a big breakthrough because, you know, again, as always, this guy's six foot five. We found him. I would think so. No doubt. If this guy's six foot five. All right. Well, that's amazing. And hey, say thanks to. In fact, I'm going to ring Merv and tell him what an amazing job he's done. Because we were we were at a dead end on that, weren't we? And unless Merv had done his his thing on that. Well, it's it, yeah, and it just shows the power of uh, power of the hive mind and everybody who's listening, because Mervyn, I'm not sure if Mervyn was listening or not. Yeah, but I know Zoe was in Texas, and yeah, Zoe volunteered her dad to be able to get to Ipswich for us. Well, it is it is amazing because uh, this could be the breakthrough we need. I mean, it could be. Uh, we we all we're all fairly positive about. Uh, it's the right. It's the right age. It's the right place. It's the right time, and uh, we've never been closer. I don't think so. Right, we've got to get Joe on this and see if we can turn out any more information about Kenneth John Rodenhurst uh, and see what we make of that. Thanks, Ian. Really appreciate the feedback, and uh, we'll uh, let's see where, we t where it takes us. Absolutely, Ken. Can't wait to get started. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. So we'd found it, thanks to Mervyn. It'd taken weeks. The name of the man who had fallen from the Pride of Flanders in April 1994, Kenneth John Rodenhurst. 
age 49, an RAF technician. No permanent address in the UK, but stationed at RAF Bruggen in Germany, close to the Dutch-German border. He was a man of exactly the right age, disappearing in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. So we'd reached a point where everything might be about to fall perfectly into place. Now the thing is about this case, very fortunately, there's one acid test that a potential match has to pass in order to be proved to be the gentleman of Heligoland. And we all know what that is. It's the height test. He needed to be six foot six. Of course, the newspaper didn't divulge his height. That just would have been too easy. But it was obviously essential that somehow we track that down. And getting people's heights is very difficult because really the only way of finding them is by talking to people who knew them when they were alive. And the obvious way of doing that would be to contact his family. And over the years, we've become quite adept, really, at locating friends and family of people that we identify. And within an hour of finding out the name, Joe already had the names of various relatives identified. And we'd found a number of them on Facebook. But the thing is, this is very sensitive territory. Raking over a 30-year-old suicide for the purposes of a podcast, it's delicate ground. So at that point, we hesitated for a while. And it was a smart move that we did because we started to look elsewhere and we found his name mentioned as part of a Facebook group dedicated to people who had served in the RAF. One post on that group mentioned Ken Rodenhurst by name. I contacted the man who had put that post up and he remembered Ken. He sent me a photograph of four people standing on the runway of that RAF station in Germany. Most importantly, he knew his height five foot ten and the photograph proved it of the four men standing in that photograph ken rodenhurst was the shortest so now we knew for certain ken rodenhurst was the man who fell from the pride of flanders but ken rodenhurst was five foot ten so the man who fell from the pride of flanders in april 1994 was not the gentleman of Heligoland, definitively. Another stone picked up, thoroughly examined and put back down again. But thankfully, at least, without needing to trouble the family. Now you'll know, having listened to the podcast from the beginning, this is normal, perfectly normal. There'll be probably 10 or 20 people who fit the story at some point who we have to go through the process of eliminating before we find the one who it is. And eliminating those just brings the discovery of the actual person closer. That's why we never get frustrated when people are eliminated. Something to celebrate. It can't be Michael Dean, it can't be Jan Bayer, and now it can't be Ken Rodenhurst. But it is 
someone. And we'll find them eventually. One thing hasn't changed. Our belief that the most likely explanation for this is that it's a suicide of someone from the periphery of the UK, from round the coast or from a point close to the coast of the UK. So we needed to go back to first principles. What were the options for someone intent on committing suicide into water and weighing themselves down from the east or south coast of the UK? So that's what we'll focus on for the rest of this episode. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Wherever you are in the world, I hope things are good with you. A couple of quick things today. Firstly, a massive thank you both to Zoe and to Mervyn for all their help in putting this podcast together. We would not have got anywhere without them. So a huge thank you to them. But also I wanted to give everyone a bit of an update on the podcast. Series one of the mysterious case of the gentleman of Heligoland will come to a close after episode 10. That's the end of the next episode. We will return in a few months when hopefully things will have developed a little bit further. There are three main reasons why we're gonna pause at that point. Firstly, most importantly, we have to get back to a different investigation, the original one, the mysterious case of Fred the Head. That starts up again in July and there's a lot of work to do on that. We know we can't do both at the same time. There's just too much detailed investigation required for the resources that we have. So we have to make some choices. So we'll park this one for a few months while we get that ball rolling again. By the way, there are some people who may be listening to this podcast who are not aware that there's 30 episodes of a completely different investigation to be discovered. It's called The Mysterious Case of Fred the Head. It's where we all started on this journey uh, and it's worth a listen, I think. Now, also, the advantage of having a break is it will give time for things to develop, both in terms of our investigation and the police's investigation. And as you're about to find out in the second half of this episode, there is a lot more work to do. If anything emerges that you need to know about straight away, i.e. if we solve it, or the German police solve it, you'll get to know about it straight away. We'll do an emergency podcast to make sure everyone's up to date. And also, when we started this, we didn't really envisage that we'd get to 10 episodes, that we'd get drawn into so many mysteries. And also, we all feel now it's clearly solvable. But as with all these things, they do take time and we need to be patient. So I promise you we'll be back to this in late autumn. But what we now need to focus on is where we go from here. So I needed to have a conversation with Ian to work out exactly what the next steps should be. Right, Ian, I feel, uh, I feel a bit deflated, I think, uh, having found Ken Rodenhurst. I had really high hopes for that fella falling off the Pride of Flanders, but uh, <laughs> it's not to be, is it? Well, it's not, Ken. You're right. However, I don't think you need to be deflated, though, because I think we've done a lot of really useful investigation. Uh, which we can take forward, probably because it was so hard to find a name for the chap off the ferry. It gave us more time to do things. So look at the currents, for example, as to where they might have drifted from. 
True. And I think we can take all of that stuff going forward because all we've found out really is that it isn't the chap off the Pride of Flan Ferry, but clearly it is somebody who has gone into the sea somewhere and we've got a much better idea, I think, now of where we could be looking for where that person and when that person went into the sea. And I think that's where we've got to yeah. move forward to. No, you're right, I think. Actually, when you think about it, actually, uh, objectively, the principles haven't changed, have they? We know that person drifted quite some way over quite some period. We know pretty much where he probably drifted from. We both think it's a suicide still thing. And, uh, yeah, therefore, we need to, I, I suppose, start thinking about what are the options. If he's not the Pride of Flanders man, which he clearly isn't, what are the other options for where he would have entered the water, potentially? Now, we think it's down the east coast of England or Scotland or maybe the English Channel. So what are, what are the options, do we reckon, in terms of where we need to be looking at, at maybe newspaper reports of where people have gone missing from? Well, I, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because it is one of the uh, strangest top tens I've been asked to draw up. I mean, top ten favourite Christmas songs, fair enough. <laughs> top, top ten points of entry for suicide victims. I would say I agree with you, maybe from all the way down the East Coast, I think around the point of Kent and, and across up the South Coast as well, that, that South Coast, particularly Sussex and Beachy Head, is, is an area which is world-renowned as a, a, a point for people to do away with themselves. Yeah. But I think, I think that's a bit vague, that is a sort of 600 miles of coastline. I think, first and foremost, this chap could have gone in off a boat that's got to be on on the list yeah clearly clearly yeah definitely we know we were very excited about the pride of flanders man because of that and so yeah there may be other people who have gone in off a boat that's for sure yeah but not a fisherman off a fishing boat no because of how he's dressed correct yeah so boats in there i would include bridges yeah yes yeah. remembering your work about what it's like landing 30 40 meters head first into water is like hitting concrete yeah so bridges cliffs of the right height so if it was too high the body would be completely destroyed yeah and and our man's isn't so we can't be too high that he goes in from i suppose we've got places like piers that go into the yes. city a long distance don't they and, and they're not particularly high but who's to say what's underneath the pier you could hit, hit your head on something underneath the pier quite easily i would imagine well i i think that's a that's a good one because you're, you're right out into sea then. Yeah. And if the tide's out, then the pier has got a really wide, flat foundation just under the surface. And if the tide's out, then that's something that you could definitely hit on the way in. The, the other thing we should talk about, and we may dismiss, is of course we've got oil rigs and gas platforms out there in the, in the North Sea. Obviously, this guy's not dressed for that. But I suppose there's an argument that he might, you know, he might have been in cities waiting to come back. I mean, that does imply an accident, and I don't think we think this is an accident, do we? But, I mean, they're there. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, when you first go out onto those yeah. for your three-week shift or whatever it is, if you've decided that's what you're going to do, do you get off your helicopter in civvies and then just throw yourself in it's possible it's possible it's possible i wouldn't have it at the top of the list of no, course no, it is possible i guess the other thing is harbors and uh 
those kind of constructions that go out into the sea to you know provide safe passage for boats they they can extend quite a long way can't they too? yeah yeah absolutely so i've got a list of six there we haven't quite got a top 10 but it's a pretty good top six that i would imagine yeah because obviously you've got limited resources we need to get joe working on something i think on this if we were to pick a top three for from those six just to focus on first I, I would certainly vote for bridges. I've, I've always felt bridges is a, is, a, is a pretty important option, and there are not many of them, and therefore we might be able to do some work around, around bridges. If you remember, when we were first talked to Lars all of those months ago, his own pet theory was somebody coming off the Tyne Bridge. Well, um, I think boats have got to be at the top. Yeah, I think boats have got to be in there too, yeah. And that leaves, it leaves us cliffs, piers, oil and gas stations and harbours. Now, if we want to, want to pick one of them to focus on first, I suppose we might be able to put piers and harbours all together in the same thing. Yeah. Because yeah. they often are in the same kind of similar places. Uh, would that be, that would be my third choice. What, what about you? I would agree with you. Piers and harbours easily identifiable. I think if we, I mean, I think cliffs is, is, is possible as well, but it, it is. It's, there's only a little window of cliff height that would work. Yeah, they'd have to be very, very low. Uh, in the sense, if you're jumping off Beachy Head, whatever that is, 500 feet, I mean, you are Le Mange at the end of it. So let's focus on bridges, boats, and this Piers Harbours idea. I'll have a conversation with Joe and set her off doing her thing as, she, as only Joe can on those mm. things. Let's see if we can find any people missing in those kind of areas who, in that very tight window, of course, that's the other thing. They need really to have gone in, well, I'd say January to May, 94. Would you agree with that? Yep. Agreed. Great. Okay. Great. Okay. Mission accomplished. Thanks for that. Thanks for raising my spirits again as well. I appreciate that. <laughs> let's get to work on that. And let's just see if we can find anyone that may have gone missing around those, uh, around those kind of places. Have you done some work, did you say, on, you said there were very few on the bridges. So you, you identified the bridges at the right height? Yeah, I, I mean, essentially, there are five bridges that I can see that give that kind of clearance. Clearance is the key thing, i.e., what is the distance between the span where the person would have access to and the water? There are five. There's the, the fourth bridge up in Scotland. There's the Tyne Bridge up in Newcastle, which you all know well. There's the Humber Bridge. There's something called the Orwell Bridge, which is, funnily enough, uh, quite next to Felixstowe, which is a significant bridge. And there's also the Queen Elizabeth Bridge, which is the, the Dartford bridge, Crossing. The Dartford Crossing that goes over the Thames. So, so those five, and I think if we're looking at bridges, I can't see any more bridges that will give us anything like the right height. I, I agree. And I think you've thrown the gauntlet down to all of our listeners who will tell us where we've missed it. Really yeah. obvious bridge, wouldn't we? But uh... yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think there'd be my five start points on bridges. So what I might do is have a word with Joe and, and just see if she burn the midnight oil. Just see, seeing if there's anybody missing around those times on those bridges is a good place to start. Certainly is. I think just living kind of in the area and comparing the Tyne Bridge, which is about twelve miles from the coast, and yes, I can remember from youth people jumping off it. But the Humber Bridge is about a mile long and it's got parking spaces and viewing areas in the middle of it and there is always news yorkshire news about people jumping off it 
you know, you're right in the kind of centre of the estuary, aren't you there? And oh. very tidal. And I imagine if you drop yourself in the middle of that... You're way into the North Sea very quickly, yes. You would, you would. By the way, the other interesting fact on that, if you were to draw a line from Heligoland, where this man was found, that is the closest, because the other ones are either quite significantly further south or quite significantly further north. But is it, though, with the currents that you've got? I mean, would it? Would that happen? They may go drift a bit further south, but if it's not that far, once you get down to the wash, uh, which is really only about 75 miles away from Humber, if that, mm. uh, you then get swung across easterly in a you know, very, very significant tidal stream. I think that's where we've got to start then. Sound like an expert. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's crack on with that. And uh, I'll keep you posted. And I imagine we'll be getting loads of information from Joe before we know. Well, there's certainly a lot of newspapers to go yeah. reading through, isn't there? But she loves that, doesn't she? She loves it. There's so many, though, Ken. It's me and you, too. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to. Well, there's no escape on this one. No, we won't be able to just <laughs> pass it all over to Joe, will we? We'll have to have a good look as well. That's true. But I just know she'll win. She'll find them. I'm sure she will. All right. Thanks, mate. We'll catch up again soon. Excellent. See you soon. Bye now. Cheers, mate. So that's where we started. I spoke to Joe, and she started looking for people who may have gone missing in early 1994 in the vicinity of those five bridges. And as always with Joe, it didn't take her long to come up with a completely new set of ideas. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> Blimey. Uh, no, I'm, I'm in a happy me. mood. I'm in a happy are? mood. Good, good I'm in a very happy mood about this task that you gave me. So, I loved it. Well, that's nice to know. So we're focused on bridges. That makes a yes. lot of sense. I suppose there are five main we're looking at, which are the Forth Road Bridge, the Tyne Bridge, the Humber Bridge, the Orwell Bridge, and the Queen Elizabeth Bridge. And that runs north to south all down the, U- the UK. So, so you've got this unenviable task of looking at all these bridges and seeing in this really tight window we've got, which is January to May 1994, anything in newspapers that was being reported about people who may have fallen off those bridges. So any joy on on those things? Well, yes. I mean, um, actually, Ken, can I start with the proviso? I mean, some people could have jumped off one of these bridges and not been seen or reported missing. We know that, don't we? Of course, yeah, that is true. Uh, Yeah, they too too could be a gentleman of Heligoland. But, okay, let's go with what there was. I did enjoy looking through the newspapers. Now, I did find one Tynebridge person, but he was identified and found. Okay, so we'll rule Um, that. Yeah, rule that one out. I found none for the others, believe it or not, except for the Humber Bridge. Now, 1994 was a terrible year for suicides on the Humber Bridge. Right. So just to recap on that then. So of those five bridges in that tight, narrow band of time, mm-hmm. there are none for the Fourth Road Bridge, there are none for the Orwell Bridge, there are none for the Queen Elizabeth Bridge, there's one from the Tyne Bridge, he's fast, but there are some for the Humber. There are, and uh, some actually could be our gentlemen, so I'll just try and take us through, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 15th of February, and now this it's interesting. This body is identified, but not found. So, could he be our gentleman of Heligoland? Okay, so... 
we're working there on the basis that if the body's not found, he could be the gentleman. Even yes. though they may know who he is, if the body's gone, he could he could be that man. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So well, that's I, one yeah. in, on, on the 15th of February. Yeah, can I quickly tell you about it? Because yeah. um, I like this one because it's called Footprints Worry. Footprints Worry, and it's very graphic. Now, police found an abandoned car on the bridge, the Humber Bridge, 15th of February in blizzard conditions and they were called at 9 30 in the morning and they discovered footprints in the snow leading from the car to the bridge they could not find the body now they traced the address of the owner through the registration and yeah. they said we are continuing with our, our inquiries now yeah. they said that the address was outside the county but they would not give further details and that always annoys the heck out of me ken because that really because that could be our gentleman right but what's interesting about that it sounds like he drove there for yeah. a reason and a very clear reason sadly to end his life uh, he may have had things in the boot in order to tie on to him if he if he felt so inclined. So, and uh, yeah, the footprints in the snow, that's a, that's a very, that. very kind of visual idea of that. I so know. that's the one for February. Okay, so. Okay, okay. we now come into the 20th of March. Now, this, this is a body actually that was found, was identified. So I don't really need to put, talk about this poor soul, except that I do find it interesting for us forensically because he was found about two months later, just over two months later, and his corpse was found in the River Don. So he must have got caught up instead of flowing out to sea. Now okay. he was, his skeleton, etc. well, he was identified by his personal effects. Okay. So it shows you the rate of decomposition, doesn't it? it certainly, yes, it certainly does, actually. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you happen to know when he was found? 27th of May. So in the period of two months, mm. he'd been reduced to skeletal form. Yeah, and had to be identified by personal effects. And, he, you know, he had actually been reported missing okay. um, literally the same day that he had, somebody had been seen jumping. So they did already have a lead. Right, and so we can cross him off our list in terms of yeah, gentlemen. Okay. Definitely, but that was yeah. interesting. Well, then wait for this. You know, he jumped on the 20th of March. Yeah. The 21st of March, a second man jumps. Wow. And he's not identified, not found. So he could be our gentleman. Yeah. And the report says um, a second search in 24 hours was launched after a man was thought to have jumped from the Humber Bridge. Shortly after 2 p.m. Um, on the 21st of March, a witness reported a man had jumped from the bridge and the man was thought to have leapt from the middle section of the bridge. You're good on bridges, so I thought I'd tell you that. Middle section of the bridge mm -hmm. was said to be wearing, said to be wearing black trousers and a black jacket with a white shirt. Smartly dressed. Mm. Now... It says the search was called off and nothing was found. And it does say in that report something you will probably already know, knowing you, that the Humber is known for its strong undercurrents, which would wash anybody's away extremely quickly. I know. Um, yeah, he'd be in the North Sea yeah. before he knew it. Yeah, it's so interesting, it isn't it? it? Yeah. No. And uh, a police spokesman said, two jumpers in 24 hours is certainly unprecedented. I can count on one hand the number we have in a year. 
Mm. Now, actually, Ken, I think he'd forgotten that there was a February one, which makes it worse. Well, Maybe. yeah, but he's got more than three fingers, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's fascinating. So we've had, in the space of five weeks there, three people have jumped off the Humber in yep. our window. One yep. of which has been identified, but the other two have been washed out to sea, really. Yes, absolutely. God. Then we get 19, 18th of April. 1994 not identified not found ken so could be our gentleman and this one is um a search was mounted on the 18th of april when a man jumped from the humber bridge search crew alerted around 11 p.m after reported a man had parked his car on the bridge then jumped now they found no trace of the man and the police said this is interesting actually considering there was a car Mm. They did not know the identity of the man and were appealing for anyone who had witnessed the incident to contact the police. That's bizarre, isn't it, with yeah. the car there? So if, if, they, if they had the car, unless the car was stolen or unless the car was absolute, hired. Yeah, hired. So that I found an interesting one. Well, what is interesting, firstly, we've got four cases in this really tight window. And so this starts to look quite an interesting area of investigation. Um, two of them drove to their deaths. Two of them had cars parked there, and and parked because I think Ian mentioned to me actually you can park your car or something in the middle of the bridge. I've never been over it personally, but no, I was thinking that. I bet they've made it so you can't now because yes, I noticed that in those reports. It was a very convenient, you know, wasn't it, in a horrible way. That's important because in that tight window that we talked about, there are five bridges, there are five deaths that 80% of those were on the Humber Bridge. Yeah. One of them from time he's found. Found. But only one out of the four from the Humber was found. And that probably says something about how fast you get dragged away. It must go really fast. It must go fast. And the one that, the currents must go so fast. And the one that does, you know, sort of intrigue me and annoys me is that one on the 15th of February where they said they traced the address of the owner. Mm. I know that doesn't necessarily mean the owner. I know enough Mm. to know that. But they wouldn't, and he was outside the counter, wouldn't give further details. And that's, that's a bugbear for me. That, that one in March, though, I mean, the wearing the smart clothes, the smart, the smarter clothing you'd imagine. That, that I know. And he could easily have lost his jacket on the way down. Absolutely, Ken. And, um, you know, the fact that, you know, black trousers, white shirt. Now, I was once asked to give, um, to try and say what somebody was wearing who'd committed offence, which I'd seen. And I'd seen it from a distance. And I did get the colours wrong, you know, when they found him, because they found him that day. And I had got the colours slightly wrong. People's recollections are vague. So I'm keeping a very open mind on that one on the 21st of March. Yeah, that's a a very interesting one. In fact, when I saw the shirt that was actually recovered from the body the picture of that that looks white to me not yeah having said that in the water but so there you go ken those were my endeavors amazing miraculous so i think this is where we need to focus and we've got we've got some work to do in terms of how we can try to develop some more ideas about these people it's a brilliant start i would love it if we could talk to somebody who was working at the time there somebody in the constabulary i really would because they will remember the fact that there was a real problem on the humber that year and they could be insightful somebody from the police constabulary at that time yeah i agree with that but they also know how many 
are recovered and if they are recovered after falling from the Humber Bridge what kind of injuries they have because that can yes. be really important uh, yeah all right that's a great idea as well Joe thank you that has been as always brilliant we've got some more work to do haven't we we do and I will speak to you again at another time fantastic thanks Joe bye bye see ya so that is where we leave episode nine with as always a lot more work to do but I'm glad we fully explained the Pride of Flanders situation. I did have high hopes for that, but the truth is the most important thing. The gentleman can't be him. So we have to move on now to finding the real gentleman. And thanks to Joe's work, we have something to move on to. These poor men who leapt from the Humber Bridge in 1994. What can we do to try and identify those people? And as you know from our approach to these investigations, it's two-pronged, finding and developing as much as we can about the case, shoe lasts, ties, injuries, for example, whilst at the same time finding missing people who may match the very unique nature of the body. And what I mean by that is the height. But that's only possible with a name. So our next two weeks, we'll be trying to put a name to any of those people who fell from the Humber Bridge in February, March or April 1994. But that's for next time. So until next time, have a good one. The Mysterious Case of the Gentleman of Heligoland is a copyrighted GSE Media production, written and narrated by Ian Mackay and Ken Davis, and produced by myself, Ken Davis. Mm-hmm.